0: Welcome to Reimagine the Contact Center. I'm your host, Mark Bernstein, and my guest today is Sherry Greenhouse, Contact Center Consultant and Managing Partner of CRM Exchange. Because it's funny, because I think that in 2020, we saw, you know, just you know, anecdotally, we got this big spike of people wanting to do stuff in virtual, and then 2020 at one, people got a little uh, sick of it. I think it, you know it was very hard to engage people virtually, and my guess is that right now we're at this really nice medium where people have almost gotten over the second hump and are more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um, people are very comfortable with it. Yeah, um,
1: yeah, and, and some people have gotten. Well, do I really need to go? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to that conference i can i can get that same information when you look at a lot of the content it's the same yeah whether you deliver it in person or you deliver it uh virtually and with all the tools now it's almost like you're there
0: yeah yeah and uh it was funny because i you know checked out the virtual conference today i saw balto is a sponsor you have eight by eight you have nice you have Verant. it's like huh this is uh this is just like an in-person conference. This is awesome. I think I actually did a 10 maybe a year ago and I hopped in okay. right when the pandemic was starting.
1: Okay. Yeah. It, it You know, we've been doing them for so many years that when some of the conference, you know, the, the premise conferences started doing them and I saw what they were doing. And I, so for some of them, I was thinking, we tried that won't work because uh-huh. we've been doing it for so many years. We know what works and what doesn't work and what people want and what they don't
0: want it It's so funny because that is so valuable to have tried stuff know know what works, know people want and don't want, but it's very difficult to articulate that value mm-hmm. uh, so uh I imagine though that you could probably rattle off the top of your head of like specific like pitfalls that people tend to to fall into when they're setting up virtual events and things like that
1: um probably, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, we, there there's nothing we haven't tried mm-hmm. either on the site. And we started this site well over 20 years ago when um, what there was a, a, a magazine. It's since gone through a couple of iterations. But the the I guess the owner of the magazine at the time said to me, this Internet thing, you think it's going to last? Will it be around? Because <laughs> we, we were one of the first ones to ever have. Anything on the internet.
0: And when when was that? I want to say
1: 96, 96, 106. Yeah, yeah, 96, 97. Yeah, it was, it, it's like 23 years ago. We wow. put something on this, yeah.
0: Wow. Uh, I, I It's funny, I often make the analogy, um, but, or I draw an analogy between internet and AI. Um, and I, I say that AI right now in 2022 is where the internet was in 2002 which is that yeah. it had been invented it was used in both you know business and uh personal settings but it wasn't integral to your daily life you know mm-hmm. you still you still got the uh, you got mail you know and people were still trying to figure out how to use this thing and then fast forward 10 years later to 2012 you couldn't rip that thing away from us if you tried and i think okay. that ai is in a very similar spot where right now uh, people it's the frontier people are trying to figure out you know what it is it's kind of optional to have it you can you can get some benefits but it's not like it's uh you know the thing that if you don't have it you're out of business i think in 10 years that will precisely be the case
1: yeah um there's still a little bit of hesitancy is it going to take my job is it going to take over my life like you know there's those type of things that people are thinking that it's not, it's not something that, um, like with the internet, when the internet started, you had to physically do something. You had to go do it. But AI could just be around you. It could be set up. You don't even realize that it's there in your normal consumer life. Being technologists, you, you understand you have to set it up. You have to create everything. But I would bet most people in certain demographics just think it gets done. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just there because it's already been set up. They're not sure how to do it. And there's sometimes there could be a little bit of hesitancy Mm
0: -hmm. with it. It, it, It's so interesting that this technology is one where you don't necessarily see it or know it's working or know that you're interacting with it. If you thought about like a comparison to the mechanical world, imagine there's a physical machine and you couldn't see it and it just, it just did its thing. Um, that's, you know, so I think we almost have to develop a new sense for what t- technology is knowing there's something under that there's something powering that. And I think that, you know, uh, documentaries like the, uh, the social dilemma, um, mm-hmm. very much, you know, highlighted for the people that, you know, there are like very powerful algorithms in play that are truly changing people's behaviors at scale. But it's a new type of thinking I think we're still getting used to.
1: And that can go either way. When you watch The Social Dilemma, you could also think, oh, I don't like what this is doing to me. This is making me think a certain way that I'm not even aware I'm thinking a certain way. Or you know, I've noticed on my phone within the last, I would say three or four months, I would get in my car and it would say seven minutes to work well how does it know it's seven minutes to work mm-hmm. i never put anything in so your phone is tracking you and you know it this can go either way people can start to say i like this this makes it easier for me i know how long it's going to take me you know and you're looking and i think it might be again like maybe a younger demographic that's grown up with all of this and it's not scary but as you go up the scale of um different generations. It could be, wait a second, I don't like the fact that they know yep. I'm going to work. Or at 5 30 I go to the dog park and it's telling me how long it's going to take me to get to the dog park. I don't love that.
0: And but then I'm of that
1: off. other generation that's going up here. So it, it I find it a little creepy, but I could see where a lot of people and there's certainly times when I find it very helpful as well.
0: Yeah. We're going to get to a point. It's going to say, your dog is going to go to the bathroom in three, two, one. That would be helpful though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would be good. There's a really good bush to the right. <laughs> well, we all have our favorite bushes. So that's good. You know, I, I, I think that um, I think we're going to see um, technology right now. We're trying to figure out where the line is. Mm-hmm. We're trying to figure out, you know, what is, um, you know, attached to us enough that it's helpful and we feel like it's personalized and we feel like it's making our lives easier and giving us only the sort of things that we're interested in and want to see because that was the original you know insight behind Facebook and them you know moving from a a, what was it I think timeline to newsfeed or however they or newsfeed to timeline is that it was only the things you wanted to see it wasn't chronological Mm -hmm. anymore Um, so people like loved that initially and then they said wait a minute this is only only showing me things that i am engaging with so i spend more time on the site i think we're going to push right up to that line of figuring out what is acceptable what's not we're going to cross it at times but i think that as a population we're all going to be very aware of like what's what we're comfortable with and what we're not because i think the exploration phase will be over and we're going to have so many examples of companies that cross the line by a little bit and ones that cross the line by a lot mm-hmm. i think we're going to push all the way up to it
1: sometimes companies um,
0: organizations
1: can be like that two-year-old that says, can I just inch just a little bit more? Will I get in trouble? Oh, mm-hmm. this work, can I go just a little bit more? Will I get in trouble? So I think, especially with the, all the analytics and with AI and with robotics, companies are going to start pushing to limits to see how how much can I do? How much can I get away with? Mm-hmm. and that, And I agree, there's going to be that line when all of a sudden people are going to go, hold on. I'm, I'm not going for this. You know a little bit too much. I understand you need to be helpful. Or if I'm trying to service myself on the internet and I have a problem and I need to call somebody, I like when I don't have to repeat. Everybody's going to say, that's great. I don't have to go through the same thing again. Yes. But if I'm calling you and you would all of a sudden know with no context at all, oh, Sherry, nice to hear from you. Hmm. you know, like, I don't know if I want you to know that right away. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a little bit kind of the way we started in the virtual conferences. You're going to try little things, back off, try other things, you know, go a little further, enhance a little bit more to see what people will will agree to and what they won't agree to.
0: Yeah. Do you think that we're going to start seeing Uh, contact centers when they get an inbound saying, ah, Sherry, um, thanks for calling. I noticed that you just set up your trial subscription about 28 days ago and you're in a 30-day trial. Is that what this is about? Do you think they're going to start out that directory? is still going to start with, how may I help you when they really think they know how they're going to help you?
1: Uh, I think it needs to be not quite as blunt as that. That might be step four or five. Where you might be able to pull up their information and shorten that call, but not tell them, Hi Sherry, how can I help you? You know, I'm very happy to help you today. Can you give me the spelling of your last name? So you're actually confirming also, and then that record's there in front of you, and you can instead of fumbling around saying, Let me get the record, got it. So, you know, that's a different experience right away. I just spelled my last name, and you already have my record and everything about me. So that was quick. That I can buy. But mm. I don't know if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like, and, and it's consumer by consumer. I don't know if I'm going to like that you immediately know who I am. But if you do it really quickly, and you help me really fast, that I'm going to like.
0: I think it's interesting you just said it's consumer by consumer. Because um, I agree with you, there's some consumers that definitely are going to call in and be like, Sherry, I hope that you know why i'm calling i hope you guys yeah. are smart enough to put together the data that i just bought a subscription i used it a lot for the first five days i stopped using it for the next 20 days i probably set a, a, a reminder in my calendar and said you know on day 29 make sure to cancel cancel final cancel mm-hmm. uh, and that's why i'm calling in i imagine some consumers are gonna be really excited by that so it's just it speaks to i think maybe the need for uh, the contact center space to get better and better at personalization.
1: Uh, I agree. The more you know, not necessarily tell the person you know, but the more you know, the more helpful you can be. I think it comes down to help me solve my issue. Help me answer answer my question. Don't keep me on the phone. You don't have to necessarily delight me because that was a big trend. You know, everybody's gotta be delighted. I don't need to be delighted. I just need to know the answer. And if you could do that, just because you helped me so quickly, then I'm delighted. Don't try to delight me, help me.
0: Sure, that's so funny. Cause I, I remember uh, uh, the delight era and that was something <laughs> that you know Zappos really pioneered as well, um, you know, to go above and beyond and create memorable experiences, memorable experiences for customers. And then, uh, and it was funny cause that seemed like in contrast to the philosophy of, you know, handle time. And it said, well, You know, we can spend more time with a customer if it's going to create a memorable experience and delight them. And then I think we're starting to shift a little bit toward, well, the most delightful experience is the fastest experience. And Mm -hmm. we we started hearing the narrative around minimizing customer effort.
1: Effort's a big part of it. And think about the normal person's day. They're doing a million things. They're multitasking. Uh, You know, they just want to get in and get out. And, and the faster, the better, and it's not saying don't have a really good experience, you want to have a good experience, but good experience can be, for, with Zappos, I, I got the shoes, you have my size, you have my color, you also suggested this goes with it, and you did that within 90 seconds, I'm good. And then if it doesn't fit, I can return it, no problem, you send me the, the return thing that I can take it to the post office, that's a great experience.
0: I was doing a, a speaking event at the last CCW, and I asked a question and said, uh, who here thinks that the contact center is a cost center? And nobody raised their hand. I said, seriously, come on, somebody, please. <laughs> somebody raise your hand and say that that you think the, the contact center is a cost center. And uh, we had one hand go up. And I remember being super surprised because you know I think a lot of folks have been championing The contact center as a profit Mm -hmm. center, but that's still, you know, it's still rooted in delivering some sort of service to the customer as fast as you can, at the lowest cost that you can. Um, Are what opportunities do you think do exist for contact centers to operate as a profit center? Can you ask that extra question to try to get a cross sell and upsell? Can you ask for a referral? Can you ask them to take the survey? Or, you know, are, are those sort of techniques out?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you asked the question of people that are in a contact center or operational or they're running a contact center. I wonder if it was a room of CFOs. If you said, how many of you think this is the contact center is a cost center? I think at least half of the hands probably would have went up. Yeah. So it depends on where you're sitting because if you're in the contact center, you realize this is really valuable. I, I am learning so much about my customers. I'm learning what they like. I'm learning what they don't like. I'm picking up information about my competitors. I'm understanding why people want to leave, why why they're churning, why they're buying more. So uh, people that work within the contact center and the customer experience professionals, they get it. They understand that, yeah, it's costing me to answer these questions, but it's costing me more if I don't do it right. But some of it needs to be um, uh, talked about up the line. That and and many companies are getting this a lot more now, but the CFOs, the CEOs, they need to have a better understanding of what exactly happens within the contact center.
0: I've seen anecdotally, just in kind of the tone of the conversations that I've been Mm -hmm. having the last few years, the respect for the contact center go way up. Mm -hmm. And you know, the budget and purchasing power of the contact center going way up. Um, and there's a lot of research talking about you know the the budget and how uh, the space is growing dramatically. And I heard some number that's going to be I think uh, uh, 400 billion in total spend by 2030 or something yeah. pretty wild like that. Um, what do you think contact center executives need to do to align with the um, rest of the business and the CFO around a business case that says this is a function worth investing in?
1: Part of what you're seeing was due to the pandemic, Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden people that were um, maybe in in stores on premise, they weren't necessarily um, in, in a contact center became contact contact center like whatever job they had, they were contact center like. So throughout organizations, upper management was realizing all these people are they're using their computers they're using their phones they're calling from home they're doing things from home all this is really interesting and they're starting to get all that uh, all that information all those analytics and i think part of it was there was this explosion of cloud technology also if you didn't have cloud technology if you you were all on premise you were at a luck. <laughs> you had to get be able to distribute really really quickly so i think that a byproduct of what happened was a lot of executives were starting to see this is really important and I need these people to be able to talk to my customers or chat with my customers, whatever method they happen to have. Now, what can, what can contact center um, operations people do or managers do? I think it's very interesting. And it's very important. And I, I'm a big proponent of this. Everybody in the organization in top management needs to call into their contact center. What happens if I'm a customer? What kind of experience am I getting? So if you're, and they shouldn't call in as themselves. They need to call into somebody else, uh, kind of go undercover and really see what it's like. What is, is this what my customer's seeing? This is horrific. Or I'm thrilled. And you start to understand what's going on when you're with your customers. How are my customers treated? Are they, are they put on hold? Are they put on hold for 20 minutes before they can even get someone? So sometimes you really have to see what's happening in order to get an appreciation for it. And, you know, I've seen companies go through um, in the contact center ROIs, if we have a better um, workforce scheduler, for example, and we let agents start to schedule themselves and they can do things on their mobile. And this is what, and we were able to retain them because the, the cost in the contact center is so vast. It's the training. It's, you know, what, do we have to keep hiring and firing people? Do we have to, are people keep, keep leaving? So you're not even going into the great resignation, which has been talked about ad nauseum at this point, but what, what have, how do you keep your, um, your agents happy? How do you keep your staff happy? Because that there's an ROI associated with that too, if people keep leaving, so you can do this giant spreadsheet talking about all your costs associated with not keeping your agents happy, not keeping your customers happy, and find a champion within the organization that will look at this and, and analyze and say, you're right, we need a better quality. We need somebody to, because we're, we're churning through so many agents, let's, let's see what's going on there, but let's also help our agents with other tools that help them get up to speed faster.
0: Sherry, I I just heard um, you, you bring up, you know, agent experience, which is mm-hmm. a hot topic right now. And I actually noticed that um, CRM Exchange is hosting a conversation on, I believe, Wednesday, May 22nd, uh, with 8x8 and Ray Way. Oh, Ray. Wei. Uh, Ray
1: yeah. Uh, May yeah.
0: May 25th. May 25th. Yeah. And it's about, uh, you know, agent experience um, and how to drive a better agent experience. Right. Is, is it all about just making sure people don't leave? Is that the real reason behind agent experience? Or why, are, why is that becoming a topic people are talking about now?
1: Um, well, it's not just agents leaving. Everybody's leaving <laughs> for different things. So do you, you want to hire the right agent to start with? You know, I think with some companies, and, and this used to be true when I used to manage um, a, an outsourcing company, a BPO, it was on the smaller side. But, and actually it was even before we did flip charts, which told you how long ago I managed it, but sometimes you just need to get those bodies in your seats. So this person could probably be okay. I'm sure I can train them to be really good, but there could be a mismatch. So you have to start with the right person that you're hiring. And then you have to say, all right, what are their needs? Because they're, they're your customer's face. That's all they know of your company is the person that they're dealing with, especially if it's. A phone, even if it's chat, they're the person that, that's all they know about your company is that agent. So you need to make sure as an organization, am I doing the most I can be doing for my agents? Do they have a path to grow? Are they trained properly? Am I continuously training them or am I leaving them alone? And and sometimes you can get very lonely if they're home agents. You know, how do I bring them in? How do I make sure they feel part of the group? So there's a lot of things that companies need to look at for their agents to retain them, and we've all seen those numbers. It costs much more to constantly have somebody leave and you bring somebody in and you train them, and you know all the costs of recruiting. You don't want to go through that if you don't have to.
0: It's interesting, share uh, Balto did a, a an agent workforce survey, and okay. we surveyed 2,000 contact center agents and asked them, you know, what are you looking for from your work? What were would cause you to stay, what would cause you to leave. And, um, we broke it up into five different age brackets. I don't remember the exact brackets, but it was like 25 to, or, uh, below 25, 25 to 35, 35 to 44, I think all the way up to uh, 55 plus. And we were surprised that in the bottom three age brackets between the ages of, uh, I think 18, all the way to 44, mm-hmm. the biggest thing that agents said they're looking for in each one of those brackets was room for growth and accomplishment. Um, and then when you got into that next bracket, the 44 to 55, it ended up being compensation and benefits. Mm-hmm. And 55 plus was flexibility. Um, and it, it's funny because I think the narrative is that you know the contact center is a dead-end job. And you go and you joined it because you needed a, a quick buck and you didn't have a lot of other options. So you joined it and that's that. But I actually think that that is not really true and it's not really the case anymore. It's not why agents are joining. They're joining because it's the way to get, you know, from my perspective, um, it's their way to get the foot in the door, um, to start a profession, start a career. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of mobility in the contact center space that I think it doesn't always get the credit it deserves.
1: I agree with you. And I've seen, cause I've been in this industry a very long time and I work with companies where they're somebody you know could be very high up in the organization had they start agent they started as an agent so it's not you're right it's not a dead-end job anymore unless that's what you want it to be if Mm -hmm. you're in college and you say all right I'm just doing this for the summers so I can get some more money I never want to touch a phone again that's what it is Mm -hmm. but if you want a career there certainly is in a large enough company a, a, a path and companies are seeing this now because they they know more about your company probably than anybody else cuz they're hearing everything. So there's certainly a path and the smarter companies are doing that. What does that path look like? It's going to be different for every company. It's going to be very different. It could be up the, you know, it could be agent 1, agent 2, agent 3, supervisor, QA, you can go into workforce, you can go into management, overall management, you can go into lead gen, marketing. I mean, it could really be anything. So it really depends on the size of the company, um, the type of agent. So if you're an agent in, a, in an insurance company, you've got a lot of education behind you. Just because you're on the phone, you're still an agent. If you're a financial agent, you need to have a lot of education, understanding, of financial institutions behind you. So some some agents might decide, I just want to do this. I want to be on the phone. I want to sell. I want to work with my customers. This is what I want to do. I like this. I like the flexibility of this. Some might decide, all right, I want to go to the next step. I want to be more management. I want to work over agents. So it really depends on the industry, on the person. I don't think there's any specific path that any company can take.
0: Mm-hmm. It is interesting. I one of the things I love seeing is uh, when you know I'll visit uh, customers of Balto and I'll mm-hmm. go to the floor and talk to the agents and uh, I'll meet agents that are very proudly making six figures um, in f- spaces like insurance and financial services. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that's a real opportunity. That exists for a lot of folks where you know you're you're making six figures and um you know, maybe folks uh you know in your family or in community haven't done that before. Um right. and uh that's a that's a pretty sweet gig.
1: Look, when I bought insurance, when I moved, I relocated from New York to Florida. And I'm sure you cannot tell there's New York at all in when I talk, but I relocated from <laughs> from New York to Florida. And I saw um, an agent, it was in one of our local um, magazines and I called and the office wasn't that far. I said, should I come over and see you? He goes, no, I do everything over the phone. Okay, this was an insurance agent sitting in his house, doing everything over the phone, talking to everybody. And you know, with these kind of tools like we're using now, there really was no reason for me to get my car to see him. Hmm. It's just that that's, um, it's something that I was used to doing I think we're all used to doing, you're know, going to visit people, but you don't have to
0: anymore. It's one of the interesting things about the change in the contact center that we've seen the cloud transformation. And I think a lot of it, uh, people just immediately attribute it to COVID. And, you know, and then you hear, you know, COVID was an accelerant. It didn't actually right. create that change. It just accelerated it. Um, but I I do think a lot of those changes have been baking for some time, particularly on the consumer expectation side?
1: Um, consumer expectations. For, I think most consumers don't understand what, what you mean by you say cloud. So what do you mean by the consumer expectation side?
0: What- yeah, I mean that I think that the contact center hiring more experienced people, uh, paying them more, um, having omni-channel interactions having these super powered cloud-based contact centers mm-hmm. that had a ton of information about the consumer. I think that folks often attribute that to, well, COVID did it, but I actually think that those trends have it been started baking for yeah. time based on how people want to interact with companies.
1: Yeah, it, it was starting and it's interesting because we do we do a lot of webinars. And recently, I would say starting this year, we opened up chat completely. So uh, there's the panel, there's the person presenting, and then there's chat where the audience can kind of chime in and they can talk and they can say things. And um, we're fortunate in that we have a wonderful audience and they're very chatty and they're very open. And they will tell you, this is what we found and they start to help each other in chat, which is really interesting. What many of them have been saying lately when we talk about agents, and there's a lot we've done, and you, you can see from the um, recorded webinars, a lot on the great resignation and people leaving, that with the technology that's available today and with self-service, they're finding when somebody does call, it's a whole different level of agent that's needed because the the, the questions are much more sophisticated. They couldn't do it by themselves. They couldn't figure it out. So now they have to talk to an agent, which makes the agent's job a lot more interesting because they're not saying, okay, can I have your change of address please? And they're not getting bored. They're more challenging questions, which also leads to the agents have to be better trained because what's coming in, and this is what people are chatting over and over now, by and large, we have financial insurance, those kind of industries. So it's gonna be a little more sophisticated anyway. But um, you know, it's the agent needs to have that information at their fingertips. They need to have everything they need to know about that person because that person has an issue they could not solve themselves.
0: It's funny because I think often that complexity mm-hmm. gets painted as a frustration for agents that your agents are getting pummeled with harder and harder things. And that's true. But I, I love the point you mentioned, which is, it's also a lot more interesting when mm-hmm. you've got to use your brain and solve problems and it's not rote. It's not the same thing again and again and again. Every case is different. It right. makes you feel like a true, you know, customer service or sales professional.
1: Mm-hmm. Think of it psychologically. If you were an agent and you're sitting on the phone all day and you're taking how many in blue or what's your change of address or I just help this person solve a huge problem. What's more rewarding to you at the end of the day as an agent? Doing the same thing over and over or finding something challenging and actually helping the customer?
0: I think that that's going to create more fulfillment for the agent role, too.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: I agree. Sherry, one of the awesome things you've done with CRM Exchange is that you've created a real community there. Um, You know, everyone wants to create the next. Uh, watering hole where the best professionals come together and everyone looks to, you know, that um, place for information and uh, to gather. But you've actually done that, and one of the one of the few very tight communities um, in the contact center. Not saying there's not a number of them, but and mm-hmm. you know, there's a there's a few that stand out. Um, what have your principles been or your strategy been to go from? place where people get information to an actual community that, that that you've built?
1: I think part of the community comes with the amount of live events that we do between the virtual conferences and the webinars. We're pretty strict. Uh, we have different types of live events. If there's an event that, that somebody wants to talk about, their, a company wants to talk about their product, they wanna show their product, we let the audience know if you have a, this problem, They're going to show you a solution to that problem. We we don't bait and switch. We're really strict with companies that do webinars on our site. If you want to talk about best practices or how to do something or operationally, don't start talking about your product. Our audience doesn't want that. So we're we're very critical of the webinars that that we let our vendors do on the site. We do a lot of dry runs. We go through a lot of techniques on, you know, how do you open up to the audience? How do you get the audience to talk to you? How do you get the audience to talk to each other? So there's a lot of that. So I think the audience now, because we've been doing this, feels very safe to talk to each other, to come into the webinars. Uh, I think that that's part of it. Some things, we've just been doing it for so long. You know, some things were trial and error. We've always tried different games way early. So this is how early we started. We did a game on the site and we had everybody, we have like a vendor directory. It was different back then. You had to go through the vendor directory to find, now I'm talking about like 2000. Um, You had to find the answers and then you, I think you even had to fax them to us at the time. And if you won, we sent you a TV. (laughs) This is how long ago that we started playing around with things, trying to build that community. We had, Again, early on, maybe it was around 2000, we wanted to get everybody involved in, uh, remember the bulletin board kind of technology where you, you, you did something and you went, that was one of the only things available. So we created a soap opera in a in a contact center and everybody was allowed to, or, or we hope they would, um, create characters in the contact center and create scenarios. And they were, this this thing was growing um, but we found a lot of people that were writing in it were writers, as opposed to people in the contact center. So it didn't really work out exactly as we planned. But we, you know, we were constantly trying new things and getting people involved in different ways, and some worked, some not so much.
0: It. I bet creating a soap opera is actually not that hard. It's funny no, when you, when you no. go to the contact center <laughs> and you know you're talking to one of the agents and they say. Yeah. That agent over there, that's my wife. <laughs> we got, we got married. Like the, the, when, when people, there's a real camaraderie there, which actually I I wonder how the contact center space is going to keep that up remotely. It's, it seems tough. It's tough.
1: Um, it's always something that comes up during the webinars. How do I keep my agents all engaged? And some of the best ideas that come out are from other, other people that are on the site chatting back and forth to each other. Uh, some do morning meetings all on Zoom together with your supervisor. And you're all talking, you talk about well, how was your weekend? It's like they try to create the water cooler moment virtually. Mm-hmm. So there, there's different things that that companies are trying to do to, to make everybody feel like they're part of something.
0: Yes, it's it's really interesting because I think that one of the challenges with the agent role historically is that you really don't feel like you're part of something. Mm-hmm. You feel like your job is customer interaction, handle the interaction, customer interaction, handle the interaction. But it's I, don't, I, I think historically it's been hard to uh, communicate to the agent that you are impacting the broader picture.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, there seems to be more of a focus now uh, you know, especially with this like tight labor environment and the uh, more uh, sophisticated you know tier of agent on sourcing more from your agent's voices and brains and mm-hmm. trying to make your business better, not just using what you hear on your on your call recordings or um, in uh, you know doing your secret shopping your company, but also right. in just talking to the people on the floor right. who are talking to your customers.
1: Yes, now, um, years, years, years ago. When I was managing a contact center, I would bring in the agents and say, okay, what's wrong with our script? Now, keep in mind, it was a flip chart, but what's wrong? What are you hearing? And they all felt part of something. They're contributing to what, what they're going to be saying to the customer. This is before we really knew what the rules were. I'm going back 20 over 20 years that we were doing this. But some good practices are good practices, whether they're 50 years old or they're from yesterday. And I think early on in the company, we realized we really want the agents to be part of this. We want them to have a say because they're on the phone all day. They hear a lot more than we think we know. So let's hear what they're hearing and let's, let's rearrange that script accordingly.
0: We, Sherry, just did a, another survey at Balto um, mm-hmm. and we surveyed 500 contact center agents and asked, uh, you know, what would you change about your script? Mm-hmm. And, 64% of the agents said they wanted to change something. So yep. uh, 36% said they were happy and didn't want to change a thing, but 64% said they did want to change something. And then what we did is we we tied it to how much ownership do you have in your script? And um, I don't remember the exact number, but it turns out there's a very clear relationship between the amount of ownership that you uh, give people in contributing to that script and their like satisfaction with it. And that, that seems like a very... Na- Natural thing in any of our work. And I appreciate that that cultural change is starting to happen in the contact center too.
1: Yeah. I think some of the best scripts are not scripts. They're guides. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a different personality and you need to be able to read your customer. So if you're following a tight script and you know, oh God, I have to say this, and this is so wrong for this person, but you have to say it, that doesn't work. Now there's certain things you have to say for compliance. And that could be in the guide. And there's, you know, but let the agents put some of their personality into it. You don't want them reading. because so there's nothing more annoying to the customer than knowing it's being read. You know, how many times, okay, when the agent says, yes, and let me let me restate what you just told me. And they say this, the same thing. It's like, you know, so I don't know if some of us that do this day in and day out are more sensitive to it. But I have—I'm your typical consumer. If I'm annoyed, I'm sure everybody else is annoyed by it.
0: Do you think scripting is dead?
1: I think you need a i you need something. You need a guide. Um, maybe in the beginning, to—to to, for an agent that's a little nervous, that doesn't quite know what to do. It's good in the beginning. Um, I think you, you need to—you need something. You can't just let them go but i don't know if that tight tight scripting cuz it if you have tight scripting you have to let the agent have some flexibility if the, the 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 customer is really angry at something and then you finally calm them down and they say okay i'm going to stay with you you don't necessarily want to cross sell them at that point but if that's in your script you may not have the option you may have to say that even though you know this is not going to work mm-hmm. i just barely held on to this customer so there's some Forms of scripting, guided scripting—that's um, very, very helpful. But if you have to give the agent a little bit of leeway,
0: It's one of the uh, I think really interesting things that we're seeing with with uh, scripting right now. Is I don't think it fits our world mm-hmm. in in most ways, right? Like uh, p- the consumer wants the agent to sound like a natural person, and that's there to help and listen, mm-hmm. engage. The agent wants to sound like themselves. They also want to sound like a natural person. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, the business, uh, at times has a little bit of, uh, fear. That's very difficult to let go of. It says, but are they going to tarnish our brand? Are they going to do something that's non-compliant, uh, or are they going to tell a, a crude joke? Um, and I think that, that those lines are definitely being rewritten, but they're definitely being rewritten with uh, I think agent flexibility top mm-hmm. of mind.
1: Yeah, I would I would agree. Um, with the exception of some BPOs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because they almost have to follow the script because they're it's not their company, they're calling or answering for another company. So it's going to be a little harder um for for some BPOs, some are, you know, the way some are structured, it's, you know, they have a client and that person almost like works, that agent almost works for the client as opposed to the BPO. So they can give, have a little more flexibility, but there's some, um, especially if you're dealing with some that maybe overseas, maybe the culture is different, um, the way they approach things can be different. So you want them to be a little more um, scripted because they're just not they grew up differently. They're not thinking the same way as maybe somebody from, you know, New York is talking to somebody from um, Pakistan. You know, it's just a different a different type of uh, culture. So you want that agent to be a little more scripted to make sure that they follow that correctly.
0: Do you think Sherry that the BPO space right now is under a little more pressure or a little more stress than than they have been historically?
1: That's really hard for me to age, Um,
0: some of the models are
1: changing. I think some some BPOs are changing to, okay, we take phone calls, but we also deal with your chat. We'll also handle all your self-service. So they're becoming a little more all-encompassing than just taking phone calls. Um, There's always going to be companies that want to have the least expensive call, and that's probably going to be overseas. I'm not as familiar with BPOs as I used to be. Um, I think the BPOs are, are advancing in what they're doing
0: also. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. In, in fact, I almost, uh, you know, pressure makes diamonds. Um, <laughs> I, I, I hear a lot of awesome innovation coming out of the BPO space. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they say, ah, you know, labor goes up. Um, obviously, that's you know uh, putting pressure on our margins. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're having to raise prices, which is making it difficult from a competitive perspective. Um, you know, uh, where labor is so tight, how do we um, you know hire up a thousand agents like that, or, or you know, wind down a thousand agents and rampant attrition? You know, was was challenging before, and now it's even more challenging. Um, but a lot of awesome models are coming out of that. BPOs offering. Um, additional levels of insights to right. their clients that they previously haven't. Right. Um, and uh, you know, BPO is having really innovative hiring models um, and getting folks, uh, you know, from, for example, South America. Who a lot of folks down there will have college educations mm-hmm. and uh, will come from you know teaching professions and things like that. And the BPO space can pay particularly well there. Um, so th- there seems like there's a lot of innovation in the space as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that, that's certainly true also. Yeah. Well, they have to <laughs> to survive.
0: Yeah. Cher, sure. if you were to kind of extrapolate out what we're seeing um, and all the changes we've seen in the last few years mm-hmm. and try to look into your crystal ball and, and picture what the contact center of 2030 looks like, what do you think the contact center of 2030 looks like?
1: I'm hoping it's not all in the metaverse because I would personally be creeped out by a lot of that. So I'm hoping that's not true. But, you know, it's so hard to say because things are going so fast now. Everything's moving fast. I think the, the contact center will be thought of differently. I think it's going to be a very, well, it, it always has been a very integral part of an organization. I think now organizations are realizing what an integral part and how important it is. The job of the... Um, agent, I think that name is going to start to change because agent has some connotations. So the na- the, the job of an agent, whatever we're going to call that person, is going to change. It's going to be a higher level, a higher skill job. Um, I think it's going to be all, you know, before a lot of contact centers were located in one place. That's not needed anymore. So you will be able to find the best person to answer and work in your company no matter where they are. So if you're, uh, let's say, a London-based company and some of your customers are in the U.S. and it's a particular skill, you know, art connoisseur and there's the best people, the best person for that is in San Francisco, fine. So it's going to be very distributed, um, which leads to the different technologies. You're going to need, I think, a lot more technology to keep up with it. So you're going to need to be able to, because we see now, even in the small things we do, They want to see the presenters. They never cared to see the presenters before. They might want to see, who am I talking to? What age am I talking to? It could be a little surprising in some cases, but they're going to want to see the agents. They're going to want to have, you know, let the the person know about me. So there's a lot of analytics that are going to be involved, a lot of personalization without making it creepy. You know, uh, you, you want to know more about that person without um, you know letting them think you're spying on them you know like you have all that data but you want to know about that so the analytics is going to be key um, having the agents have a little more of their own personality so they like what they're doing they're helpful a little higher skilled constantly trained guided i think there's going to be when you're looking at um, workforce management quality a lot of that you know the analytics coming out of the quality what what's going on what are they saying so All of these tools are going to be must haves rather than nice to haves going forward.
0: Sherry, this has been a freaking blast. (laughs) (laughs) It's been fun. It has. Awesome. It has. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been really good talking to you. You are very welcome. Thank you. Talk to you soon.
1: Okay.